0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Welcome to the club
2: that you didn't want to join. We're the voice of Red Disease, and this jingle doesn't rhyme. Nor pod, nor From Offscript Media, this is Matthew Zachary, and welcome to episode four of NordPod, the voice of rare disease. On today's show, the topic of the day, no, not COVID, I'm talking about telehealth, telemedicine, tele-all the things, perhaps even a telephone when required, My guests are Dr. Natasha Shore, medical geneticist, and Monisha Kisling, genetic counselor, both from Children's National in Washington, D.C. You know, telehealth has been around for a long time, but its adoption is akin to no one trusting eBay and Amazon in the 90s with our credit cards online. My oh my, how times have changed. And the same is true for what we discuss on today's show. Has COVID created forced adoption yes are more people realizing how nice it is when relevant to not have to sit in a waiting room for hours and hours yes is telehealth perfect no but it's here to stay and now let's go and learn something because the more you know just like those 80s commercials unless you don't know them enjoy the show Here at NordPod, we want to talk more about telehealth because that is the buzzword of the day and society's been kind of forced into it. And yet, it has been a thing for a very long time. Uh, joining us from Children's National, as we said at the top of the show, Natasha Shore, Monisha Kisling, welcome. Uh, you were referred to to me as pioneers at Children's National. I don't discount the fact that you are pioneers in that sense, but help me understand what got you into medicine And in the analog days of corded phones, what was it like for you just to navigate the analog?
1: So I got into genetics. um, You know, I was thinking about medical school, was kind of on that trajectory, and then realized that, you know, there's sort of a shorter career path out there where I can get the medicine plus the psychosocial aspect. Um, through genetic counseling. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and I've been working at Children's for eight years now um, and have been involved with telehealth for the past two years with Dr. sure. Um, so I'm really happy with uh, our program and the way that we've kind of, I guess, pioneered in your words, uh, telehealth uh, through genetics and through Children's.
2: So as a genetic counselor, what, does it make sense to, to think that, that video and the, the, the lack of necessity for in person can build more efficiencies in how you communicate with your patient load?
1: Definitely. I think that, you know, with genetic counseling, we don't have to examine the patients physically in any way. It's a fully, you know, having a conversation with the patient and that can be done on the screen really effectively, especially when we're talking with families. uh, You know, if they have children around, they can have their children in another room. They can kind of talk more quietly. And also in a setting that's just more uh, comfortable for them more peaceful um, and I find that patients ten, kind of tend to open up a little bit more through telemedicine um, and it's just it's just a more calm interaction than sometimes what we get in our clinic when there's doctors nurses patients kids everywhere and there's the stress of coming to the clinic with a waiting room and checking in and co-pays like all these fun things so you know I think with genetic counseling especially uh, is really um, kind of very calm and easily achievable with telemedicine.
2: Yeah. And, and uh, Dr. Shore, you're a medical geneticist, so you're probably yes. on the hybrid side of in-person and virtual. What's your experience been like adopting the the internet in your practice?
0: It's been so wonderful to have more choices. I think it offers a lot more flexibility and also more efficiency. So for example, if we see a patient and that patient is going to need a cardiology appointment, why not couple our physical exam with their cardiology appointment instead of doing things kind of piecemeal? So it's a way to strategize and create a plan.
2: And what has been the receptivity of the patient community? Because you you were doing this long before COVID hit. Has this been something that accelerated the need to scale this?
0: Absolutely. So, what happened is that we started the program about two years before COVID, and um, when we did the visits together, we would ask families for feedback, and they really liked it once they tried it. They were a little resistant to trying it sometimes, but once we Monish and I did the visit with them and they felt comfortable, they would give us really good feedback, which gave us confidence. So then, when COVID happened we were able to successfully convert our entire division to kind of a telehealth first model where we would do the visit first over telehealth and then decide who needed to be seen in person. And we've been very excited about the feedback that most families have given. Obviously, it's not perfect for everybody, but the patients have been driving this forward now more than ever.
2: Do you find that to be an interesting, I would say, turn of the tide, but how patients as consumers are now realizing that there is almost a demand for supply that didn't really exist in the past?
0: Yes. Monisha can speak to this as well, but we both feel that that reluctance to try it um, was one of the barriers, but now people are much more open to trying it and they see how much easier and more convenient it is,
1: and how they are getting a wonderful experience with it, yeah, and what I found is that kind of at the beginning of this pandemic, we were uh, getting a lot of patients who didn't know how to join, having technical issues, you, you know the, the show rate for the for the appointments wasn't awesome, and then now. I would say we have a way better show rate than we do for in-person. Usually for for most patients, it's not their first telemedicine visit. They've had several other doctors do telemedicine visits already, and they're very savvy. Um, You know, they, for the vast majority of patients, don't have technical problems. Um, So I think, like, our, our population has gotten used to this, and this is just becoming sort of a way of life now, which is amazing.
2: How have you been able to accommodate for economically disadvantaged families who may have higher comorbidities in their kids that don't have the tech savvy and don't have smartphones and and can't do this? And yet there's probably a real need to not have them put everything together, schlep things in the minivan and get to the hospital.
1: Yeah, that's definitely really tough. Um, For those patients, we try to work with their primary care providers as much as we can. We are actually trying to eventually pilot a program where we can do telehealth in the patient's pediatrician's offices, where we can work directly with the pediatrician. They can do the exam and then do the telehealth visit with kind of like a telemedicine cart type of thing and get everything done there. You know, we really rely on their on their primary care providers to um, make sure that they're getting all the subspecialty care that they need. It's also been really helpful to work with our interpreter department,
0: and so we've been able to provide via Zoom translators, and they'll even call the families, and walk walk the families through how to get on the visit. With us. So, a lot of times, if families speak a different language, we'll actually call them at the time of the visit if they're not on and work to help get them on. And usually, with just a little bit of extra assistance in their language, we are able to successfully get them onto the visit using their smartphones. And most of the patients do have a phone.
2: Yeah, I, I love the idea that you have to become sometimes like tech support for people yes. that don't know how to do this. But I did want to ask you, um, can you give me I, a question for both of you uh, some really incredible success stories of where telehealth has demonstrated that there really is such a there's no longer an actual need for in person.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there will still be a need for in-person for several patients, but we've had uh, this one family who you know, the child has many complex needs and, and issues, and he sees several specialists, and they live about three hours away from the main hospital at Children's. And so you know they have a big family and to to bring everyone to the hospital uh, for one appointment it's a it's an entire day affair and so for this family to do telehealth um, especially during a pandemic just made the mother's life so much easier and we could also prepare her uh, for the possibility for her child getting sick so we kind of talked with her here's the signs and symptoms you need to look out for here's what to do if your child's dehydrated here's when you actually need to come into the ER right? So we've had patients, uh, you know, in the past, they would come in if they were concerned about something that may not have necessitated an in-person visit. Whereas now we can just see them, evaluate them at home, and then let them know when is it absolutely essential for them to come in and make that trip um, into the hospital.
0: And I have another teenager who has a rare condition called MSUD, maple syrup urine disease. And she requires a special diet and blood spots. And so she has kind of a complicated schedule and a complicated life. She's um, a teenager, a lot going on. And so we had trouble getting her to send her blood spots or come in. So actually we ended up doing a zoom visit with her at nine o'clock at night. And the nutritionist, um, had her do the blood spot during the visit and we received a blood spot. And before this, we never have. So having more flexibility for patients and providers, I've seen her many more times um, during the pandemic than I had before because she had access issues and she's doing much better decreased amounts of hospitalizations. Um, Unfortunately, she did have COVID, but she recovered quite well. And we're working on a lot of social and other issues and really supporting her much more often with these regular visits that we just could not get her to come in for previously. So I feel like we've made a lot of progress with her health in many areas and gotten her to be more adherent with sending the blood spots and things like that. And that's just one example. But Monisha and I feel like it's so rewarding. And these types of stories are happening every day. Um, There's not a day where we do a clinic together and families don't say something really profound and thank us and feel that we've had an impact. So it's been really nice to hear that every single time we do the
2: clinic together. Back with our guests after the break. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory
0: while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time.
2: So let's talk about the metaphor of how telehealth in commercial use and advertising agencies and businesses, the work from home model has basically said, well, do we really need this much real estate? And we look at hospitals, there's never going to be a short supply of beds and places. But are there like unused areas of the hospital now because more and more people are talking from home?
0: I um – um think that they're being better utilized. So I've had a lot of situations over the years where people came for the wrong reasons and were very frustrated. I can always remember an example where somebody had been referred because the white part of her eye looked blue and the parents traveled for three hours. But by the time they got there and their visit had been rescheduled several times, the white part of the eyes was white anyway. And it was just a ridiculous reason in a three-year-old for referral. And They were really upset, understandably. So sometimes the wrong things were coming in. We're still utilizing the space, but I would say for things that truly need to be seen now in person. And that's very important because we want to save families time, but we do want to see children who truly need to be there and who would benefit from our physical exam and in-person assessments.
2: Do you think that... You know, we've been using FaceTime and Skype for so many years as a society that we've just gotten desensitized to the idea of video. And yet now it is medical, now it's academic, now it's pedagogical, and and, and you you have a liability in a different sense. Can you talk about, Doctor Short? Can you talk about the adoption of better practices of what it may mean to be on a video call versus seeing a person in real life?
0: For me, it's actually not that different because I use that video call, and I know Monisha can also speak to this. We really use this to partner with the family, assess how the family is doing, sort of screen a child, screen their situation. But if we feel that they're in danger, that there's an urgency, just like we would over the phone. Um, previously, or if we got some sort of other communication, we still tell them to come in. So we've been kind of preparing and training for these moments all of our lives. They're just a little more formalized, but I don't feel any different. I'm still using the same things that I learned in medical school and pediatric residency and genetics fellowship to assess children and to see how are they doing? Are they in distress? What is the acute Acuity of the situation, um, and I'd be interested in Monisha's perspective as a genetic counselor
1: too. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know, the other thing that really helps our evaluations is photos. So patients will send photos. You know, if there's ever um, a time where we don't get a good, gr- a great resolution on the camera, we can't see. You know, we're evaluating the child for some kind of skin condition. We find that iPhone photos are actually really good quality and you can get a really good sense of what's going on once we look at photos. So that's incredibly helpful in addition to the video conversation Yeah, for genetic counseling, I mean, like I was saying before, it's really a conversation that you're having with the patient. And, uh, you know, especially for some of our couples, like, say, for example, a couple who's trying to conceive and, you know, they're trying to plan a family. And, you know, we're bringing them into a children's hospital. It's a pediatric clinic. It's not always the best setting for them because you know, it's, it's a place made for kids. There's a lion king on the wall. So in that, in that sense, for those types of patients, it's actually really nice to do uh, telehealth because like I was saying, they're at home or kind of comfortable.
2: Um,
1: they could even do it from their office if they're at work. Um, so I think for genetic counseling, it really makes a lot of sense.
2: So have you seen any like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm an old guy. I'm traditional. I'm not getting on an iPad and talking to people.
1: Yes, we have seen some of that, and, and we're, we're happy to accommodate patients, and we'll certainly uh, go in in person, but to be honest, we've had very few patients who really insist on it.
2: Yeah, the reason I ask is because it is now becoming so adopted and widespread, not to mention the fact that I would imagine if you could comment on, is there evidence to support that it, it can be as equally effective clinically, outcome-wise, as in person?
0: Yeah, that we want to look at more because it's still so early based on what the families are seeing. Our anecdotal experience is that they feel that they're getting equal value-based care from the telemedicine or better because of lack of inconvenience, and also because they feel more connected to us. So we're not just providing that visit, we're providing mechanisms for them to get in touch with us and interact a little more frequently outside of the visit as part of what we offer. So anecdotally, yes, but we would love to study it more and see where can we improve? How can we couple this with in-person medicine to really optimize each person's experience? How can we better tailor this? I think these are really exciting questions and we do need to answer those more formally.
2: So this connects to the EMR, correct? It's just as integrated Mm -hmm. as if they were there in person. Yes. Are there any advances in that? Has has telehealth evolved from a technical perspective to be more integrated with EMR? Are there things that have been missed? Is there something telehealth can't do with the EMR that it can do In person?
0: So, we're really excited because there are these new mobile carts that are going to have um, stethoscopes, otoscopes, ophthalmoscopes that we haven't yet tried because right now, um, not everybody, but a lot of us are using mainly just the video camera and assessing the child's face, um, hands, feet, skin features, kind of how they're acting. But um, they're going to be able to maybe go to their pediatric clinics and then hop on and see a specialist and a nursing assistant or somebody would be able to, um, you know, get the ears, eyes, heart, um, put the stethoscope on, and we would be able to get all of that information as well. Um, So that's kind of the next step of what we're looking at. So instead of having to, you know, go to the pediatrician and then go to five specialty appointments, they might be able to record all that information for all their specialists to see.
2: I just envision those sci-fi movies where you go in the cryopods for 30 years and somehow you're still alive later. Yes, I, let's get yeah. that adopted. Ridley Scott, <laughs> yes. where are you? Let's make this happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so just wrapping up, like you're, you're you have clearly very articulately mapped out the value of this and the growth that it's had. Um, any final comments on, uh, you know, children's national, you guys have been ahead of the curve. I've done a lot of work with you guys, advocacy wise on the, on the ecology side for years. Uh, you have an interesting pulse on the way that society is accepting and adopting this. And you're in DC, which is like a mega hub of tons of people that yes. <laughs> always have a desire to be a little more progressive and, and easily adaptable per se. Mm-hmm. It, it sounds all rosy and peachy, but do you have any reservations or where do you see any potential friction over the next couple of years?
1: I think that, yeah, like you were saying, the fact that we're in DC and we have such a diverse patient population, a wide range of patients with different socioeconomic status, uh, that that also you know helps us get, like you said, a pulse of how people respond to this. Um, and how this would work in other cities, in rural populations, in urban dense populations. My concern is, for sure, kind of creating a divide uh, between patients who have access to technology, have high-speed internet, um, and those who don't have it. It's a little bit tougher for them. So those are barriers that we're continuously aware of and, and trying to address and working with community providers to make sure that everyone has access to care.
2: Dr. Scherr, final thoughts?
1: I agree completely
0: with Monisha. Um, at Children's National, our goal is to really help kids to remain nonprofit, um, to act in their best interests. And we just want to make sure that we continue to do this in the spirit of helping kids and families get the best care. Um, we're going to be competing with a lot of direct-to-consumer marketing and other platforms, but we really wanna keep this as a means to improving the quality of care for every child and not have it get too commercialized, if that makes sense.
2: It does. It absolutely does. Telehealth, here to stay. Get used to it, kids. Dr. Natasha Shure, <laughs> medical geneticist. Monisha Kisling, genetic counselor at Children's National. Thank you so much coming on Nordpod and sharing your wisdom. You know, they said you're pioneers. I agree. You're pioneers. You take care of yourselves and stay safe.
1: Thank Thank you you so so much. much. That's all for today. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen. Nordpod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Media. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Leslie Nordstrom. Andrew McDowell is our senior producer. Karen Lee is our production manager. Valerie Don Francesco is our marketing manager. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary and the post-production team at OffScript Media. Our theme music is by the Salvatones. Learn more about the music of the Salvatones at Salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit NordPod.org.
2: Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered Internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go.